Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. While you do that, can we give a big shout to every single person joining us online this morning? Thank you so much for being here with us. Man, what a, what a Sunday. What a powerful time of worship. Hey, uh, my, my name is Will, and I'm one of the pastors here, and really honored and excited to, to share with you uh, this morning, and uh, I'm honored to lead on this team and be a part of what, what God is doing, serving, and leading alongside uh, the greatest pastor in the universe. Come on, somebody. And I don't just say that. Um, listen, we're in an age of information. You can, you can listen to whatever preacher, pastor you want to listen to all throughout the week, but ain't nobody better than the one I listen to. I'm just saying. Uh, he, he, he's incredible. So it's an honor to, to lead and to serve alongside of him and um, I do have one quick PSA, a little public service announcement before we, we dive in, and that's uh, Easter's next week, uh, as we all know. Um, yard signs are all throughout Erie, so hopefully you've seen them, uh, and, and maybe grab some on your way out, some invites as well. Uh, let me just say, in fact, this is the, the, the best group of people to tell this to, uh, is we know even right now there are people, you're, you're joining us in the lobby, and, and you did not want to show up to church to sit and join us in the lobby and we know that our, our teams are, are working really hard to create space. All of you have been so gracious to like let people slide in and jump over you and, and you know, create some, some, some space because we know that this is the best uh, place to be, to be in this room. And so I say that uh, because next week we have five worship experiences for Easter. Uh, we have two Saturday and then, and then three on Sunday. Can I just say, if, if you can, uh, show up on Saturday night. Um, what, and, and I know it's not Easter Sunday without church. Listen, I get that. But what if instead of you sitting your, your seat on Sunday morning, you sat on Saturday night and somebody else for the first time heard the gospel preached? What kind of impact could that look like uh, for generations to change? And so I'm just, just my ask. Now, don't get me wrong. You're inviting friends or somebody and they're like, they can only come on Sunday morning. Well, then show up on Sunday morning with them. Trust me. But if you can, I would just ask, maybe you just kind of take a look at your schedule and see if you can make a Saturday night, night work. Isn't it exciting, though, to like be a part of like something that's exciting? Like, um, I met a, a girl like a week or so ago, two weeks ago maybe now. She drives here from Westfield, New York, which is like 45 minutes away, one way. Come on, somebody. Like, a church that's alive is worth the drive. You know what I'm saying? Like, she is ready to rock. And man, I just think that's so cool. And there's so many stories, people that are showing up and from literally all over the place, place I've never heard of too, which is cool. Um, hey, it's Palm Sunday. Uh, it's, it's Christian tradition. Is, if you're unfamiliar with what Palm Sunday is or Holy Week, Passion Week, this is uh, marking the time of Jesus entering into Jerusalem uh, to uh, be led and to, to go into a space of of trial, of really an unfair trial and crucifixion and his death and, and resurrection, which is what we're going to celebrate next, next week. Um, this is a really significant and pivotal uh, part of our faith and our journey this week. Um, how many of you know the things that you talk about the most really show and uh, show you really kind of what you value as well, right? Like, if, and maybe something that alters and affects your life in, in such a way. I'll say it like this. Like if you're always talking about the weather, like that alters and affects your life in some kind of way. That could be a work thing, whatever it may be. Maybe if you're like me, I'm always talking about my daughter, Nora, and my wife, Kelsey, right? Because my family, like I value so much, 
And so they're always just like on the, the, the tips of my lips. Like I'm getting ready to say something about them. Like, cause I value them and I appreciate them and I, and I, and I love them and, and they're, they're a part of my family, right? And the same is true with God's word. What do I mean by that? There are four accounts of, of Jesus' life, which are called the gospels, the good news of Jesus, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're gonna be in John 12 today. You can flip if you want to. Uh, to get there. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's like 89 chapters of scripture in, in those gospels, okay? Check this out. Four of those chapters cover the first 30 years of his life, okay? Four cover, cover 30. That means 85 cover the rest, which is about three and a half years, okay? 29 of those chapters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John cover this last week of his life. I believe what I'm telling you, and, and, but what the Bible is telling us, that this is very important. This last week has, has implications to our faith that no other part of the text maybe does. It's so important, this time period of, of Jesus' life. And so we're going to look at some scripture today to kind of set us up uh, in, in our minds and our hearts as we enter into this Passion Week Together. Again, we're going to be in John 12. If you have your Bibles, if not, it's going to be on the screen. Uh, I've got a lot of verses to read, and so the team said, read them fast. And so please listen quickly or just nod it down, and we'll go from there. Anyways, all right, John 12, starting in verse 1, it says this Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas, everyone loves Judas, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replies. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Deep breath, keep going. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the fest or for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a donkey and sat on it, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, or to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. It's a pivotal part of our faith. And 
I know this maybe sounds like a weird setup and intro, but my favorite season of, of Erie is coming up. In fact, it's kind of just started because yesterday Sarah's open. Come on, somebody, right? <laughs> Orange cream twist. Uh, but Waldemere, right around the corner, that's coming. Uh, the zoo is open, right? What season am I talking about? It's not spring or summer because that's allergy season to me. I'm talking people watching season. I'm talking sitting there learning from the people who are walking on by. Now, I know you can do this at the Mill Creek Mall and at Walmart any single time you want, but there is something different about Waldemere in the summer, you know? <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm going to talk to you today and, and kind of we're going to learn together through this title called People Watching, because we can learn a lot about ourselves and about what to do with our lives by watching people. In fact, I think I'm, I'm the parent I am because my wife's amazing and the people I've watched over the last 32 years, you know, like uh, I've seen some things on what to do and what not to do. And so therefore I've figured some of that, uh, or at least I'm trying to. In John 12, we see some different groups of people and we can watch what they've done. And, and here's what we're going to see. There's groups of people who, who's in the story. Obviously we got Jesus. That's an easy one. We've got the crowd crowds in the story. There's also a couple kind of versions of the crowd. There's the day before and the day of crowd, but there's the crowd. We've got the chief priests, but we also have the Pharisees. We're going to kind of put those together as we talk. And we also have the disciples. Of course, they were in the crowd as well. But then we also kicked it off with Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. We're going to be able to watch these people together in order to glean and to learn from some things in our lives as well. Let's start off looking at the crowd. This is the greatest multitude of people that were around. Why was the crowd there? In the story that we're reading, why was the crowd there? Well, they were there based off of the religious tradition of the Passover festival. What was the Passover festival? It was the moment for them to remember what, uh, what God had done freeing them out of Egypt and the Passover lamb, you can learn about this in Exodus if you want to uh, nerd out this week a little bit and, and read some more. This is something that these people would do, these Jews would do every single year. They would show up. In fact, they probably would take the same path every year, wear the same clothes every year, eat the same things every year, say, sing the same thing, talk about Cousin Joey year after year, right? This was a thing that they've always done, but don't you notice that there was something different about this year? Jesus was there. Now, Jesus would have gone to other Passover festivals as well, but there was something in the last three and a half years of his life and the miracles that piled up on top of each other that made a little bit of something different. In fact, I believe the spirit that was inside of them was woken up a little bit. What can we learn from the crowds just by watching their excitement and by watching what was going on? We can learn this. The first thing for you to write down is that Jesus is more attractive than religion. They were there based off of a religious tradition. I'm not here to bash religious traditions. I think some of them are great, but we can't let them get in the way of the most attractive thing about them, which is pointing to Jesus. If there's one thing about Jesus, and there's a many things you could say about Jesus, is that he was very attractive. 
in a space of how he would speak and teach. And I love in Mark 12, it says that uh, to the common, they heard him gladly. Man, I'm common. I'm a common dude. And so I want to hear Jesus gladly. Why was he more attractive to them than the traditions uh, uh, that they would have? Because Jesus would always focus in, if you read his parables and you read his teachings, he would always focus in on the inside. He was more focusing on what was in you than what was around you. Whatever the situation may be, the religious traditions were focused on the external. Hey, get this right, get that right, do it this way, and then. But he was focused on the the inside. I'll say it this way. Religion was putting up barriers while Jesus was removing them all. In fact, if I was around in that day, I wouldn't even be able to enter into certain parts of the temple because of me not being Jewish. And then me not even being maybe a a Pharisee or a a teacher in that space. I wouldn't be able to enter into certain things. Jesus was removing all of those barriers. So we can see that Jesus is more attractive than religion. We see in verse 13, they're crying out, Hosanna, save us. Hosanna, save us now. What they're crying out is like, hey, son of David, save us. Like they believe that this Messiah, this Savior was to come and they were expecting him as in Jesus to set up this political power to to take people out, right? Like the oppression that they felt, they were believing that this guy rolling in on a donkey was going to remove it all. But what they didn't understand, what the crowd did not get was the fact that he wasn't just coming to save them from a physical thing because that was nothing. He was coming to save them spiritually, again, on the inside. And I would submit to you today that some you know, 2,000 or so years later, that we're actually making the same cry as the crowd. And we might not be tweeting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Man, we're looking for a savior. You walked into this room, you joined us online looking for a savior. We might not be crying out in that such a way, but I think the arithmics, they, they, they got it right when they said that, you know, I travel the world in the seven seas. Everybody's looking for something. We're looking for something. Why? We spend so much money on these anti-aging creams and things because we're so focused in on our identity, wanting to be saved in that way. We're the most connected generation in a community that we could have ever been in, yet we're so relationally poor. Looking for something like Jeff Bezos is spending millions of dollars trying to stop the aging process and find eternal life. Hey, Jeff, call me. I'll show you how to find eternal life and we can spend the millions together. (laughs) It'll be fun. We're seeking it in success, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but every single time you chase something that's not Jesus, you find yourself empty, wondering, is this all that there is? And you're tired, you're, you're, you're weary, and we're, we're burned out on trying to find the, the winds of the world when Jesus wants us to come see him. We're crying out. One of the things we learn from the crowd, in fact, we see this, and we know this in hindsight because we can read the rest of the scripture. Yes, in this moment, they're saying, save us, save now, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the king. We find out that later on in the week, they're yelling, crucify, 
crucify, crucify. Isn't that just like us? We come to church. God, you're so good. You're living, you're breathing. If then by Friday, really, God, are you even there? And we're just yelling, crucify, crucify. Who else do we see in the story? We see the Pharisees, these chief priests. And I kind of put them together because they have the same mindset in the story and throughout scripture. We saw in verse 10 that they wanted to kill Lazarus because he was alive. <laughs> and people saw that and believed in Jesus. How wild. Like what an interesting thing that they were so focused in on their comfort and their authority bubble that when somebody like Jesus came in and it bursted open, that they were willing to kill the followers and the people that were causing such a stir. The crowds were there, right, to see Jesus, but also Lazarus. And they missed something so important. Listen, these were not the average Joe Bible readers like you and I. These were people who would have known the Old Testament and the scriptures by, like it was on the back of their hand, reciting one after another after another, and yet their opinions and their expectations of who Jesus was and who they wanted him to be blinded them from what was right in front of them. Because if they would have taken a moment to take a deep breath and say, wait a second, I see this king coming in on a donkey, they would have remembered the direct quote that this is saying in Zechariah 9 that says that there is going to be a king coming in on a donkey, which was written about 500 years earlier. They would have known that the song, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel, they would have known that that's Psalm 118. And just before what is quoted directly in here, it says that, that the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone, that this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Hosanna, Hosanna. That that was actually the moment that they were witnessing. But yet, their opinions and their expectations blinded them from seeing what was right in front of them. And man, if you're like me, I got some opinions on how things should be. I've got some expectations on what I want God to do maybe in my life and different things that are going on. And every single time I'm so focused on those opinions and expectations, I block the blessing that's right in front of me. And the Pharisees and the chief priests did the same. They missed out on what was already written before Here's what I need you to know this morning is that scripture is always more reliable than opinion. Opinions can be great, but they falter every single time. I'm talking the scripture is always more reliable than opinion. They should have known the scripture. In fact, they did know the scripture, but they blocked it out. Now, I'm not going to go too deep into this on what I mean, like some specific scriptures of this, but if you want to nerd out this week a little bit, uh, you can learn about the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, which pointed to Nehemiah, which then points exactly to this moment and all the days and the things. It is fascinating, and I love it, but maybe that's not your personality, so I'm just going to skip over that. But look, seriously, it's pretty cool. All right, we're going to look at the disciples as well. So the crowd, we, we, we looked at them, the Pharisees, the chief priests, but these disciples were interesting people. They were just these common dudes like, who spent the most time with Jesus over the last three and a half 
years, these fishermen, these tax collectors, these just regular old you and I's. And the disciples in this story, we see that they are a little bit angry, even a little bit frustrated, right? Because Mary's pouring out a year's worth of wages. Now, John calls out Judas directly, but if you look at Matthew and Mark, it shows, uh, it says like the other disciples and some of the people in the room. So it's not necessarily pointing just out at, at Judas. And I think that that would be pretty true because how many of you know that nothing spreads amongst your closest friends like criticism and misunderstanding? And so they don't necessarily even see. And maybe Judas was getting called out directly by John and, and so, so be it. But there's some truth in there. that They didn't necessarily get it all. And in fact, we saw in John 12, 16, it says that like they didn't even understand what was going on until after Christ was in his, his glory. Hindsight is 2020, man. But it's a gift if we can actually learn from it. And we see, oh, that's what you were doing, God. So I can trust you still. In fact, here's what I would say about these disciples and a truth for us today uh, is this, is that we see this and we can learn from them is that owning our faith is better than renting it. There is a different cost to ownership. There's a, a different cost, right? They didn't get it all. They had some hangups. They, they had some frustrations. They didn't understand what was happening, but you know what? They were like, man, I don't know. I'm just gonna keep going with this thing. And they didn't get it right every single time, but they owned their faith. They built upon what was there. I'll say it this way. It is better to be a follower of Jesus than to be an inspector of Jesus. We are called to, to follow. And I know sometimes for me, that's very difficult if I don't have all the, the, the answers. I wanna know what's gonna happen, God. But God called me to follow, not to understand. But what I've discovered is that as I follow, I understand. Just like the disciples. If you own a house, you, you steward it differently than if you rented it. Like yesterday, it was nice for like an hour, and so my family, we went outside because it was nice. And, and what were we doing? We were picking up sticks. Listen, if I rent my house, I'm not picking up sticks. Someone else can pick the sticks up. But because I own the house, I got to pick the sticks up because no one else is coming to do it for me. I got I to gotta steward what's been given to me well. Our faith needs the same kind of stewardship. Hey, a little bit of action, a little bit of a step forward. If I'm renting it, are you renting your faith this morning? I'm just gonna use it on Sunday? Or is it something that you can live in throughout the week? Here's the, the last group of people that we can learn from. This is Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. Let me read the scripture to you again because I know it was like, feels like forever ago when we read all the scripture. Uh, verses one through three, it says this. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus's honor. By the way, you get raised from the dead, you throw a party. 
Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with their hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. What can we learn from these, these three? I think in a lot of ways, we can see how to give glory to God through the three of them. What do I mean by that? Martha served. So Martha is representing work. In other passages, in a different scene, Martha was told to stop. Don't work. You're worried about all this stuff. But in this moment, the girl was serving. She was, she was preparing what was what was to happen? I don't know, but she had some kind of inkling that this moment was different than the other moment. And I think her service in this setting was as much of an offering as the perfume that was poured out. But Martha represents work. Mary is representative of worship. She's pouring out this expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus. Like, there could have been so many other things that we could have used it for, but she just decided, you know what? The one thing I want to use my worship for is Jesus. This unreserved, unconditional worship. It says that she, she wiped with his, with his, or with her hair. And in time, like, Jewish women wouldn't put their hair down. So it appears to me that she did not care who else was around in the setting that was going on. It appears to me that she cared that there was one person in the room and that was Jesus. Can I ask you in a few moments as we worship, what would that look like for you? What would that look like for you even in the lobby that like you would just take a moment and just worship? No, who cares who's around? Who cares if the person in front of you has their hands up or don't? What would it look like for you? Maybe to kneel down, to say, you know what? In this room filled with all these people, it's just me and Jesus. I'm just gonna worship in that way. Lazarus in the story represents a witness. He was dead and he was raised to life. And people were witnessing that miracle they witnessed what was going on in his life, and they what? They believed in Jesus. And I know, if you're like me, you're like, well, I would be a witness too if I was raised from the dead. I hope so. But also, if you've called on Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, my Bible tells me that you are dead to yourself and that you are a new creation. So can I ask you, believer, can you welcome the resurrection in your own life? and begin to witness out of that place. You see, the three of them wrap up in one big idea because the idea is this, is that gratitude always wins. Something happened in each of their life. They, they had something, different stories and things that Jesus did, but all of their actions were actions out of gratitude crowd, much like us, was there looking for a savior, seeking, searching, looking for something. Those religious elite consumed, again, just like us, with opinions and expectations on what we want God to do. 
what we want the moment to feel like and to, to be like, maybe the disciples. It's in that space of, I don't got it all together, so should I wait until I have it all together or do I just own my faith and press on? Or in a space like, like Laz and Martha and Mary to just say, you know what? Amongst everything else going on, I'm just gonna be grateful for the one who's in the room because he's in the room. So as we worship together this morning, as we take time to just press into what God is, is doing, just focus in on who Jesus is. In fact, would you stand with me as we pray into this time? Father, we come before you. We come before you, not amongst everyone else around us, God, you. Father, would you open up our hearts to, to worship freely, worship unreserved, to worship you. Father, to have this ability to, to stand here, God, and just have a moment with you. Father, we're grateful. We've got nothing else, God, but, but hearts of gratitude this morning. Maybe you'd wanna posture yourself in that way. And Father, we know that there are people that are in this room that are joining us online, that are in the lobby, that have been seeking and have been searching for all the things of this world, but everything that they've been looking for, God has left them empty, angry, broken, confused. But God, you are here and you are saying, come to me. I am what you are, are looking for. And you know that if you're in the room that, that what you've been looking for is, is here, it's found. And it wasn't mixed with all this other religious tradition, but with an attractive savior of Jesus. And so in our time of worship this morning, you just wanna say yes to Jesus, to say, hey, I'm coming in with gratitude for the way that you've saved me and I've been risen to new life I welcome my resurrection this morning. So Father, we thank you, we love you, we worship you. And it's the name of your Jesus, your son Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. We hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com slash yes. There will be some practical resources to help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate, go to elevatechurch.com slash give. Thank you for living generously. We hope you enjoyed this message. Have a great week.